What's going on, everyone? Welcome to our online service. My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here. Before we get into today's sermon, let me pray for us. God, our Father, uh, with so much going on in our world, in our city, and maybe even in our own homes right now, I pray that something that's said right now would pierce through the noise, pierce through all of the chaos, and it would reach us. I pray that you would speak to us right where we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you know me, you know that I absolutely love sports. This past week on Twitter, I was asking my friends, what is your favorite sports moment? My favorite sports moment is one that brings me to tears every single time I watch it. And it has nothing to do with any big name like Derek Jeter or LeBron or Kobe or Michael Jordan. My favorite sports moment of all time is about a kid named J-Mac. J-Mac grew up with autism but there was one thing that he loved more than anything else that made him just like everyone else. It was basketball. J-Mac, only being about five foot six inches, loved basketball, talked about it, and he tried out for his high school basketball team. He didn't make the team, but his parents went to the coach after the tryouts and said, hey coach, is there anything that we can do to make sure that J-Mac stays connected to the program and to basketball? And the coach agreed to let J-Mac be the team manager. And for four years, J-Mac filled up water bottles and carried the clipboards and did everything that a team manager would do. But J-Mac always had a dream of getting on the court. And one day on senior night during his senior season, rumor went around that J-Mac was going to dress up in a jersey. He was going to trade in his clipboard and his shirt and tie for a jersey. There was an, an entire student section that all had his face printed up uh, so they can wear it as, as a mask in the event that he got into the game. And with about four minutes and 21 seconds left in the fourth quarter, the coach looked over to J-Mac and said, kid, you're in. J-Mac sprinted to the scorer's table, almost ran in before, he was, before the ref told him to come into the game. And uh, everyone was hoping and praying that he would do well. The first possession that J-Mac got the ball, he took a shot. He, uh, as soon as it left his hands, it looked good, but it was, a, it was an air ball. The coach was kind of worried at this point. He thought to himself, maybe I'm actually bringing more embarrassment and more harm than I am good. Maybe he's not ready for this moment. J-Mac settled down and the next possession, about 30 seconds later, he got the ball again and he lined it up and it went in nothing but net. The crowd went absolutely bonkers. That would have been amazing if it was just that one shot, but J-Mac went on to hit six threes and score 20 points in about four minutes. Over and over and over again, he was dropping threes like Steph Curry, and every shot, my eyes get more and more damp with everyone that went in. Now, that story inspires me so much to see Someone go from a team manager to senior night hitting all of these threes and being the star of the night with people carrying him on uh, their shoulders because there's something about a moment when someone has overcome a lot of hardships and difficulties to get to where they are. When someone overcomes, it inspires us. It makes us feel like we too could overcome in life. Now, why do I bring up the story of J-Mac? Now, because we're in this sermon series looking at this book of the Bible called Philippians. And Philippians uh, is a book all about joy, and it's written by a man named Paul. And to be honest, most of my time of reading the book of Philippians, I kind of read it through this lens of Paul is this superhero that had already arrived. 
And some of the stuff that I would read, although I agreed with it, it just didn't feel relatable to me and it didn't inspire me. And I think it was because I didn't pay attention to all the struggle that Paul had to overcome before writing these words. Now, these words today are meant to, meant to push us towards having joy. They're meant to inspire us uh, to see what can happen in a life, what God can do in someone's life, what God can do in your life, what God can do in, in my life. And even if you don't feel like you're there yet, hold on. I want us to take a, a step back and look at Paul's life and all that he's overcome uh, when he writes us these words. James Boyce is a theologian, and he talks about the importance of understanding the context of a scripture and the context of someone's emotional state, even when they wrote these words. He says it like this, some passages of the Bible have to be understood by the emotions as well as the mind. To understand them fully, you must put yourself into the shoes of the biblical characters and try to feel it as they felt it. So today, we're going to get into some scripture, but I also want us to get into the emotional world, like what was happening in Paul's life when he wrote these words. And hopefully they'll inspire us, not as coming from someone who's already arrived, but coming from someone who has overcome a lot in his life that inspires us to reach towards, towards godliness and to reach towards Christ as well in our own lives. Now, catching everyone up from last week, we started talking about this concept of joy. And a lot of times when you think about joy, our brains immediately go to something like happiness. But joy is, is not happiness. Uh, happiness is something that happens really to you, right? You're happy when something good happens to you. Joy in the Bible is something that flows from you. So one way that we defined it last week was that joy is a settled state of confidence and hope. Joy is a settled state. It's something that doesn't change from day to day of confidence and hope that it looks backwards and finds confidence based on all that God is, his character and what God has done, and it looks to the future forward with hope. Joy is like, joy is like a buoy in the ocean that has, you guys know what the, a buoy is. If you've ever been to a beach, sometimes you'll see these things floating on the surface. This is more like what joy is. Uh, those buoys are anchored deep below the ocean floor and they have something that floats above the surface. And it doesn't matter if it's raining, if there's a storm, that buoy will continue to float. Joy is kind of like that, that it doesn't matter what is happening above the surface. It's anchored in something deep down below, and it's always going to continue to float. So we're reading about uh, joy from this man named Paul in Scripture. And this book of Philippians is a short book. I really recommend that you read it in its entirety if you're looking for something to do with some free time on your hands. It's only four chapters. And in these four chapters, uh, Paul talks about joy 16 times. Over and over and over again, he's telling them to rejoice, to think about these things with joy over and over again. And here's what Paul has to say to us today that I think is going to push us towards having this joy, this confidence and hope that floats above the surface no matter what's going on around us. And these words are meant to anchor us deep down below. Here's what Paul is saying to us today from the first chapter in Philippians. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. 
What is Paul doing in this scripture? He's looking back at his time in prison and he has this epiphany that he wants to share with his friends at this church in Philippi and he also wants to share it with us. Here's how you're gonna find joy right now, Paul is saying. Here's how you're gonna have confidence and hope uh, that floats above the surface no matter what you're going through in any circumstance of time. Uh, here's what I want us to think about for the rest of today. Joy in your life and joy in my life. Joy is found in believing that God is with us and working for us despite what's going on around us. I want to say that again. Joy is found in believing that right now God is with you and God is working for you despite what's going on around you. And essentially what Paul is getting at is that you and I will have confidence and hope really in God, if we can believe that God is working for us and with us despite what's going on around us. Here's my problem with that though. Whenever I encounter situations of difficulty, I don't normally go to that place. My first intuition is to not say to myself, God, I know you're with me, I know you're for me. To be perfectly honest, my first suspicion is that God has left me, that God is not with me and that God is actually against me. And I look at the present day circumstances of my life or things that have happened to me in the past. And when I was in that moment, it didn't feel like God was with me or that God was, was for me. And Paul is letting this church now know to encourage them and also to encourage us that God is with you and God is for you despite what is going on around you. And he writes in this letter to give them that encouragement, which is also meant to be an encouragement to us today. Now, Paul was preaching about Jesus and he gets um, falsely accused of stirring up chaos and he gets thrown in prison. And by the time he writes this letter to the church in Philippi, he's been in prison for about four years in different places, um, sometimes on house arrest, sometimes in dungeons. And he's writing to them about this cumulative experience that he's had. And uh, Paul had two experiences, two things that he really had to overcome that allowed him to say the words that he's saying to us now. Paul did not get here overnight. Paul is not someone who's writing us these words because he's some supernatural giant that you and I could never be anything like. Paul has experienced something in his life, uh, some things in his life that allowed him to be the person that's writing to us these words, that allowed him to have this spiritual level of attainment. The people you read about in the Bible, they're not heroes, they're not giants. They're normal people just like me and you. This past week, I was reading through the book of James and uh, the Bible in the book of James talks about this one guy named Elijah and Elijah was a prophet. And James, when he starts talking about Elijah, he says, Elijah was a human just like us, but he prayed for over and over and over again that there would be no rain and it stopped raining. James tells us this about Elijah and, and I'm telling you this about Paul to say that these people, they're not superhumans. They're not... Uh, people who have already just uh, attained or reached some spiritual marker that you and I could never have. They're normal people just like you and me. And you and I also can have the, this confidence and hope that we see in Scripture, this boldness that we see Paul have in Scripture. Uh, so really, the first thing I want to talk about is Paul's experience with this gospel of grace that he talks about. So Paul, when he starts off this part of the Scripture, he says, brothers and sisters, I want you to know that what's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Now, if we read this without seeing his struggle that happened leading up to this, we're going to miss out on the beauty of what Paul is saying to us today. So why is Paul thinking about this gospel so much? 
He's not thinking about it because he read it in a magazine somewhere. He's thinking about it because Paul's story is a story of massive amounts of failure and redemption. It's massive amounts of mistake and restoration by a gentle savior named Jesus. It changed and shaped his life so much that he wanted everyone else to know about it. And even when he was going through difficulties, this gospel message to him was shaping the way that he thought about the situation. For me, a lot of times, I let my situations determine the way I see God. And what Paul is pointing us to a little bit today is that he's letting God shape the way that he sees his situations. So Paul is a story of massive failure and redemption. And Paul's story in scripture actually starts out in the book of Acts in the ninth chapter. Now, Paul at this point is convinced that the Christians that were operating in and around his area were causing nothing but trouble, that they were harmful to society, that they were up to no good, and that they were criminals. Paul actually was a part of a group of people that would see to it to stamp out this Christian movement as quickly as possible. And Paul actually oversaw the, the execution of a lot of Christians. Now, hearing that from a modern lens is really difficult to even sympathize with him at all. But in some ways, Paul was like someone who was on a parole board who felt like it was his job to keep bad people out of society. So Paul is doing this, and he's actually on his way to Damascus to execute some more justice in his mind. And it says, as he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? In those moments, Paul realized that his life's work and his ambitions were wrong. Now, it's one thing to be wrong. It's another thing to be loud and wrong. And Paul realized that his entire life's work was, was just loud and, and wrong. And he's now confronted with this massive amount of failure. Jesus interrupted him, knocked him off his high horse quite literally, and he turned his life around. And Jesus didn't just forgive Paul for all that he had done. Rather, Jesus takes it a step further and enlists Paul now into, this, into his service to preach about him and to preach about his gospel. And it says in verse 15 of Acts 9, But the Lord said to him, Go, for this man, Paul, is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. Now, this gospel message that Paul is talking about, it's not something that just excuses you for wrongdoing, although that would be amazing in and of itself. It doesn't just excuse you, but it also, it brings you in. The gospel of grace does not just excuse you, but it also brings you in. As a result, whenever Paul saw difficulties in his life, he didn't interpret them from the, from, the, from the standpoint of his difficulties, but rather through the lens of the gospel that Jesus was a type of God that didn't just forgive him from his sins, but also brought him in and welcomed him in. And for Paul, grace hit him very differently when he knew how wrong he was. Now we're all looking for different recommendations on Netflix. Mine for this week is something called The Innocence Files. I watched it this past week, and it was a great documentary series on men and women who were falsely accused and spent, some of them, decades in prison for crimes that they did not commit. One of the themes that struck out to me, stuck out to me, were the witnesses who had served to put these people in prison. And there was one woman who, through uh, tears, explained what it felt like to point to someone in the courtroom and say, this is the man that did it, only to find out later that he was not, in fact, the man. 
She was devastated to realize how wrong that she was. All her life, she painted herself as the person who was the hero. She had kept a guilty, uh, dangerous man off the streets when in fact, all along, she wasn't the hero. She was a villain. She put an innocent man in prison for decades, ruined his life completely. Now that absolutely devastated her, not because of what she did was so wrong in and of itself. Uh, she tried her best to identify the right person, but because she knew that she caused so much harm to someone who didn't deserve it. When we see in scripture, what Paul is experiencing emotionally is that he had caused so much harm to people who did not deserve it. And instead of being met with opposition, he's met with grace. Grace is what makes religious people upset. Grace is what gets people's tunics all in a bunch. What is grace? What is grace to you? The more you and I get this gospel of grace deep down in our sides, the better we will be able to experience real joy, believing that God is for us and with us despite what is going on around us. What is this gospel of grace? It's at least two things. It is a pardon from sin, and it's also a welcoming in. Now, a lot of times when we talk about uh, forgiveness, a lot of us think that forgiveness is the entirety of the message. And a lot of us in our relationship with God, we kind of view God as just our get out of jail free card or our get out of hell free card. That if I make a mistake, I can go to Jesus and he'll forgive me. And if that's all God did for us, that would be amazing. But it's not just that. First of all, I think we understand or misunderstand what forgiveness really is. Forgiveness is not a cheap thing. In order for anyone to experience uh, forgiveness, it comes at a cost. And what do I mean by that? If you owe me $100 and I forgive you for that, $100 doesn't magically appear in my bank account as a result of me forgiving you. I have to absorb the cost of what I have forgiven for you, of you, right? So if I forgive $100 um, that you owe me, I have to absorb that myself. Now, a lot of times, uh, a lot of people don't fully understand, like, why did Jesus have to die on, on the cross? And that's because forgiveness is not cheap. In order to truly forgive someone for something, we first have to absorb the loss in ourselves. And Jesus on the cross is absorbing all of the, the loss of relationship, absorbing all of our sins, and he's taking it on himself. Forgiveness is never a cheap concept where someone can just say, hey, go, I, I forgive you. The person who's forgiving has to bear it themselves. And that's what we see in, in scripture, that real forgiveness always costs something. something. Someone has to absorb the hurt. And in Jesus, he was absorbing the price tag of all of our sins in our bodies. Now, this past week, I've been thinking about it a lot, even with this concept of social distancing. Why are we distancing ourselves from one another? We're distancing from people because proximity means transmission. Proximity means transmission. If you get close to people, you run the risk of getting what they have. The story of scripture is that Jesus came down, he got close, and he got what we got, what we have, which is our sin. And he didn't just absorb it, but he took it with him to the cross, nailing it so it's gone forevermore. Now that's good news right there, that Jesus came close to us, absorbed what we have, our sins, and took them to the cross. And if that's all God did for us, that would be absolutely incredible but that's only one part of it. Jesus doesn't just absorb what we have, we absorb what he has, his life, his vitality, his connection to God, his standing with God. It's a double transmission. It's not just us giving Jesus our sickness, it's Jesus giving us his life. 
Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. Scripture says, God made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The gospel has two sides. It's not just that Jesus takes our sin, but also that we take his righteousness. And now we are regarded as right before God. Now, Paul had this concept deep down in his heart. So when he was experiencing difficulties, he knew that it wasn't God trying to pay him back because he knew that he was in right standing with God. It's really important that you get this concept of grace, particularly when you're going through difficult moments, because if not, you'll start to think that God might be petty or that God might be trying to pay you back for something or that God is distant or that God has left you or that God is nowhere to be found. But to embrace the gospel means that no matter what is going on in your life, God is for you because he has removed your sin and he's given you his righteousness. Jesus says this in John 1 about himself and what it means to place your faith in Jesus, to place your faith in him. Uh, it means that God makes us his children. John 1 verses 11 through 13, it says, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all those who did receive him, he gave them the right to be the children of God, to those who believed in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. So when Paul encounters all of his hardships, he knew that he could have joy. He could believe that God was with him and for him despite what was going on around him because of this gospel of grace. Peter also picks up on this in uh, the book of 1 Peter when he talks to people experiencing a whole lot of hardships, he says in 1, uh, 1 Peter 4, 19, so then let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. Why would Peter have the audacity to say, entrust yourself to a faithful creator? Uh, how could Peter call God faithful when people were going through the worst times in their life because of this gospel message? And if you and I are gonna have joy, believing that God is with us and for us, despite what's going on around us, we have to internalize this gospel message the same way uh, Paul did. So this gospel of grace assured Paul that, he was, that God was with him. And uh, the second thing that uh, really moved Paul to this point to where he can say these things, that brothers and sisters, these past four years locked up um, have actually turned out for the good and advancing the gospel. And he can look at it through this lens was because Paul did not get here overnight. I was reading the scripture. I've read Philippians, I don't know, probably a hundred times. I've taught sermon series on Philippians and it was something that I discovered this week that was like mind boggling for me in understanding Paul as he wrote these words to us. So Paul gets this perspective of looking backwards to be assured, to find this confidence that God was with him. What, is, what does he say in verses 12 through 13? He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel so that it has become known throughout the entire, the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Now get this, after four years in prison in different parts, and now he's back in Rome and he's been in the same prison for many months at this time, he's now looking backwards Look, look at those words in verse 12. Paul says, what has happened to me? Paul is not experiencing this moment as something that is fresh on his mind. He's looking 
backwards at the last four years, and now he's starting to see the cumulative effect of all that these four years have amounted to. Now, those five words explain so much, and to be quite honestly, uh, quite honest, I've missed them for decades. And here's the truth that I want you to apply to your life this week as we look at Paul's words to us here. It is unwise to assume that your present experience of something will be the same with what, with what your future self will think about it. Let me say that again. It is unwise to assume that your present experience of something will be what your future self will think about it. Paul is not speaking about the moment he's in right now. He's looking back on the past four years of his life. And after having experienced these things, after having had a lot of things removed from him, after only having Jesus in his life, he realized that Jesus was actually enough, as cliche as it is. And as he's looking backwards on his life, his future opinion of it, his present opinion of it, might have been different than what his previous experience of it was at the moment. Now, here's why this is so vital. A lot of times we don't have joy. We're not able to experience hope about what God is going to do because we're trying to interpret our experience of the moment as what we will think about it next year or two years or five years from now. And I think Paul's words to us are a warning. They're a warning for us to withhold judgment uh, a little bit, to not believe that our future self will agree with what our present self thinks about the experiences that we're going through. When Paul says, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me, he's looking backwards. He's not someone that is evaluating the moment as it's fresh in his mind. You've all had experiences in your life where the way you thought about it when it happened is much different than the way you look at it now. The thing that crushed you back then, now you're saying, God, thank you so much for that. Maybe it was a relationship that you wanted so desperately to work out, and now you're like, thank you, Jesus, that that relationship did not work out. Maybe it was a job or a move or whatever the circumstance, but your present self thinks much differently than your previous self did, uh, thinks much differently than your previous self did about it. Uh, this past week, I was thinking about my first apartment when we moved into Harlem, and uh, it was an apartment right on 121st Street, down the street from PS76, where we've met for services for so long. And that was the second apartment that I was supposed to have. The first apartment that I was supposed to have was on 115th Street. And uh, I went and I saw the apartment. I put a down payment down and I actually went to go visit my wife who was living in D.C. at the time. And when I got back, the broker had given the apartment to someone else. I was devastated for a couple of reasons. One, I was staying at my parents' house and they wanted me to leave quickly. Uh, I was tired of getting in late and waking my mother up uh, at night. Uh, I had been living by myself for however many years and it was hard to move back home with my parents. And I was devastated that I lost my apartment and it was so difficult for me to find something new. And you guys know how it is to try to find an apartment in the city, especially in the summertime. It was an absolute zoo. So if you would have asked me in that moment, Jordan, how does it feel to have lost that apartment? I would have said, this is terrible. Two months later, after having saved some money, uh, I found my apartment on, on 121st Street. And every single day, I would walk past PS76. And as we looked for different spaces and, and different things for Renaissance to meet in, formerly as a, a gathered church, every single day, I would walk past PS76. One day, I happened to be walking past and I saw Principal DeBerry, and this is after we had struck out in so many ways trying to find a place to hold services. 
And Principal DeBerry was standing outside on the steps of PS 76. And I went to him and I said, sir, uh, do you know who the principal is? Because uh, I'm a pastor and we want to rent uh, a church, uh, your space for church. He says, I'm the principal. I said, well, great. And I go into this speech all about how we want to use this space. And he says, that's great. Go talk to Frank. Frank was a custodian. And within five minutes, we had a place to, to gather. And PS 76 for us has been a home that we've invested in. And we've seen God do so many things in that. But how do we get there? We got there because the first apartment that I got wasn't available. The first apartment, the broker gave it away. Now, my present experience of that situation is much different than the experience I had at the moment. And I think what Paul is doing here is he's, as he's looking back, he's warning us to not think that the way you feel about your job situation, the way you feel about this pandemic in, in total might not be the way you think about it in years to come. Now, I also know that some people have experienced ultimate losses. You've lost family members and close friends. And I'm not suggesting that one day you'll be happy that you've lost them. In that circumstance, I would say that as real as the pain and the emotions are, I would say two things. One, as real as that pain is, one, they were worth it. So they were worth it, all the pain. Uh, and secondly, I would say that emotions, no matter how powerfully you feel them, they're not permanent. And one day you'll hopefully be able to look back on your loved one with, with love and with laughter. Uh, this past week, I went to my late wife's grave site to, to visit on the ninth uh, anniversary of her passing. And I'm now able to go to the grave site with, with joy and with laughter and thinking about old memories. So as we look back on things, our present experience won't match always with what our in the moment experience is. So Paul is, I think, pushing us to have a little bit more curiosity about what God might be up to in these moments. And here's what Paul says happened in this, that what happened to me of me being in prison actually served to advance the gospel. And here's how Paul's whole life was going after people to pursue them, to tell them about Jesus. But now Paul is chained to these Roman imperial guards. And instead of having to go to them, they're chained to the most gifted apologist, apologetics uh, person in, in all of antiquity. And now Paul is chained to someone for eight hours a day who can't leave, who can't escape him telling them all about Jesus. And as a result, this word about Jesus is starting to spread among all of the Roman imperial guards. That all along, what men meant for evil, God meant for good. So you and I will be able to have this joy of, uh, of having this belief, this firm belief that God is with us and God is for us, despite what's going on around us, when we take a real hard look at the gospel and what it means for our life. That it's not just God forgiving you of your sins, but it's also God welcoming you into something. So when you experience hardship, it's not that God is trying to punish you. Now, for those of you who are watching our services and you have never made that step to follow Jesus and to place your faith in him, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go on our website or in the connection card below and look for a box that says, I want to take my next step in, in following Jesus. And one of our pastors will reach out to you about what it looks like for you to embrace this gospel message and to put your faith in Jesus. And for those of us who have already done that, I want you to apply that gospel to your heart daily and read over some of the scriptures that we talked about today, uh, whether it's 2 Corinthians 5, 21 or 1 Peter 4 and 19, about what it means for us to live our life right now through the lens of the gospel, not through the lens of our situation. And secondly, we'll find this joy of confidence and hope as we look at our situations with curiosity and not with skepticism, believing that God can turn what's meant for evil 
into our good and to know that our future self might not think about the situation the way our present self is experiencing it. So let me pray for us. God, our Father, you know where we all are. You know the many things that have taken our attention. You know the, th- the distractions, the hurts, the, all of the things that are going on in our lives. Father, I pray that we would be able to understand and internalize the fullness of your gospel message to and for us. And as a result, Lord, uh, we would trust that you are with us and for us. And Father, I pray that we would withhold judgment of our present circumstances so that we would have the curiosity of what you are working out and trusting that you are the God who works out good things in all situations. And sometimes it's, it's painful, but you are working things out for our good and for your glory. So bless us to be patient and to have joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.